How's it going, Eva? How you doing? Hey, Joe. Happy, happy to see you, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's going great. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. I think the last time we saw each other, uh, was uh, we were cruising around uh, in your Tesla one day, and that was that was super fun. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's uh, um, I, I was telling everyone about about how how uh, I wanted to get you excited about the data engineering scene in Austria and all the <laughs> stuff that, that's happening over here. <laughs> to, to be fair, I think Austria is uh, it's lovely. At least the parts that I saw, I really want to get uh, to uh, Vienna sometime and check it out. I think you've uh, raved about how lovely it is, and it's not the you know, the first person who said that. So right, all right. Well, um, the whole city is like a museum. And I always joke about with our customers uh, that uh, we also like to keep it this way, but let's not get our IT departments to turn into museums, right? So mm. that's not a cool thing to have. You have to keep up with the technology, you have to innovate. And um, yeah, uh, but other than that, Vienna is, is, is a lovely place to just stroll around and, you know, check out the history, the music, the everything. Yeah. The IT departments as a museum is certainly a theme we'll, we'll touch back on. But uh, yeah, for the audience, for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Oh yeah, sure. So yeah, my name is Ivo. Um, I I um, in the data engineering slash data consulting business. Uh, prior to that, uh, had multiple roles in uh, with Deloitte uh, in in data analytics and forensics. I was a managing um, um, director slash division head of a bank in Austria doing data data office data engineering various IT topics, project topics. And uh, in prior to that, I was a software developer. So I do have the hands-on experience. And one of, one of my particular interests uh, is, uh, is really the data, the data space and more uh, particularly the uh, data engineering space. So, uh, you know, two years ago, I decided to, to move back to consulting and, and, build, and build a data engineering team. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been going great so far. Awesome, yeah. I mean, how Austria—it's an interesting place, right? I mean, it's—it's uh, it's not really considered a huge hub of technology, um, in, in uh, at least uh, from the American standpoint. But when we were talking, it seems like you know you, you guys are working on some really cool stuff, and it's um, um, you know, apart from your comment about uh, IT uh, departments becoming museums, you know, there's um, obviously enough work happening right now. I mean, walk me through what what's um, yeah, well, um, yeah, the, part of the reason why IT departments turn into museums is uh, when they can afford it, right? If mm. it's, a, it's a wealthy nation with, uh, actually, we don't have a lot of IT companies, but we do have a lot of traditional enterprises. You have a lot of enterprises. And also financials, and the financial sector is certainly strong and kind of runs kind of the the, the banking and, and, and insurance business of the entire, I guess, uh, has a huge stake in the entire Eastern Central European area right so uh quite a lot going on there and uh and uh, partly through culture partly through just uh out of sheer um uh you know a being conservative about you know not making mistakes and whatnot you do tend to have like a uh, locking into older uh, technology which you do in an excellent way but you tend to keep for uh for a lot longer than what you do in the us you just uh would rather um you know change the technology stack uh uh, way quicker than we would over here, right? We're very cautious moving to a new technology stack. One of the things we, we're working on um, is, uh, you know, everything, uh, cloud data warehousing, um, you know, streaming system, API management, and kind of combining the, we, I, I grew this as a, uh, you know, um, uh, as, a, a, as a data uh, engineering practice, but okay. also we're moving now away from doing purely services 
also into developing our own product, which mm. uh, just to share a, a word about it is in stealth mode, but uh, we will be announced soon. And it's kind of fully bootstrapped in the past three years, uh, developed this kind of uh, think uh, your book, uh, uh, Fundamentals Data Engineering combined combined with the book from Gregor Hopp in Enterprise uh, Integration Patterns. Uh, so we have the upstream connectivity of, 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 of applications for what we've seen in, 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 um, in, in you know, uh, as challenges to our customers integrating different applications, you know, with uh, kind of connecting legacy to modern APIs, mm. uh, real-time high load, you know, in, 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 the, in a financial um, space, in a payment space. Uh, insurance space uh, combined with be having having the ability to orchestrate conversions and define them with UI auditing uh, and and um, you know central configuration uh, decentralized deployment and testing and all those features that you want to see in an enterprise that have to function well kind of like this is the space where you're writing software for kind of the, the it's like writing software for Boeing right where it, it, mm. it has to, it has to run without any mistakes. Uh, in order for you to kind of drive high high volume, um, high frequency, uh, for example, uh, you know, in in a bank space transactions and uh, and 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 handling uh, huge amounts uh, of data throughput combined with traditional EDL components, right? So out of what we see in the services practice of just you know working through you know just projects uh, in the data engineering space, modernizing old systems, modernizing data warehousing to kind of saying, hey, we can actually extract a product out of this tailored to 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 the uh, to the enterprise but in a very lightweight mode that we haven't seen with other uh with other i, I guess major i'd say what mo the closest i think uh to this is let's say what what mule soft and salesforce has yeah which is like way more complex it. but this mm -hmm. is kind of moving away from a services business into a product company in a non-vc um you know kind of bootstrapped kind of way uh almost on the side while continuing to think of ourselves as we provide data engineering services and are specifically interested in building out data uh, engineering teams in a way that is, as you mentioned earlier, kind of untypical for a place like Austria. So that's actually quite a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, that's really cool. And it seems like it's born of, out of your direct experience too. Like this is, um, I, I just find the European enterprise uh, sector is just a completely different beast than what you'd find in America. Um, these are a lot of family run businesses and by family, I mean like generational type businesses that have been around for a, a long time. Right. Um, because yeah. of a lot of employment dynamics, people stick around at jobs a lot longer, um, like sometimes forever. Uh, and the, the systems, like you say, they just tend to be um, older. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to build a business, um, you know, not just to, to max it out and, you know, kind of exit it and celebrate the exit, but rather as kind of like a generational exercise where you would build it and pass it on to your family. And that's, that's very common here. Uh, and, and in, but generally in the German speaking space, so we're active in, in mm. Austria, Germany, Switzerland. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is the situation. Uh, however, um, that doesn't mean that uh, that you cannot think. You know, it enables you also to think more more longer term uh, on, yeah. on, on things. But 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 also there's a peculiarities in the uh, in the general labor market situation, right? Because you have very strict deployment um, 
employment law that has to be the tendency to be this onion model of having internal employees and contingent workforce uh, with consultants and kind of like service companies like uh, uh, like ours that tends to be way more pronounced uh, and um, uh, than than otherwise we're just joking the other saying hey we have externals and internals here in the U.S. Everyone's an external, right? Because you just have their, the, you know, term in, uh, employment at will and and all those kind of. I mean, obviously with Kevin, it's not that simple, but still, there's there, there's this difference where where um, uh, it's one of the risks you want to mitigate by 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 uh, you know on the one hand working with a consulting company in order to that keeps up with the technology the way like an uh, in the internal workforce probably would not. Uh, while at the same time, the internal folks are focusing more on the service management, more on really managing uh, relationships with an external company that does the engineering for them, that does the consulting and that does the implementation for them, rather than trying to kind of, um, um, you know, do everything on their own, uh, with uh, consider also the very limited kind of um, availability of of. I guess people working with the newest technology in the data space around here, mm -hmm. right? So we gather those around all of our hubs in Eastern Europe. We are active in Lithuania, in Poland, and Hungary, Slovakia. We opened up an office in, in Valencia last year uh, as another technology hub. So uh, I think those dynamics are a bit different. And you have all of these different countries with different laws that still kind of count for you guys as Europe, which while at the same time, they're actually right. different countries, even though they're within the European Union. So um, it's, it's a quite challenging uh, but also very rewarding exercise uh, because you tend to want, when you build out the team, it, 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 it you tend to grow it and it tends to stay. It's way more stable in the contracts are longer term uh, rather than just this, uh, a one and done projects type of business, right? It's more like strategic relationships, uh, and um, yeah, so 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 that enables us still to kind of bringing this breath of fresh air with working the latest uh, data stack, right? Um, even though I must say uh, the whole. Uh, view on adapting the modern data stack is quite different, as I can testify <laughs> most of, of our friends who are uh, from, from these vendors. They're having a much uh, harder time bringing their modern data stack to, to grow to Europe uh, like, oh, like yeah. it was growing in other places, especially in Western Europe. I must say there's this divide, north and south, but also Westies in terms of adoption or willingness to change the, the stack uh, that we observe um, uh, in, in, in Europe. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting. And, and I, I guess to, to follow up on your your earlier comment too about um, you know moving from being a, a strictly services company to either being a I don't know if you're going to be a strictly product company at some point or maybe a hybrid of the two but but how much of the dynamics of the companies that you work with uh, motivated you to move towards uh, you know building a, a productized service or a product. So it's actually a great question. Though. What what prompted me to kind of move away from from basically leading a large division at a bank and just think, you know sitting fat and happy to be honest there, and mm -hmm. and kind of um, moving into consulting uh, is all the opportunities you could do and say, well, you could you could you just have a way bigger impact, um, you know, to influence. Um, um, really, to from and I'm speaking from a strictly personal point of view, uh, to influence. Um, I guess the modernization of enterprise is just the type of the impact of the projects have that is just not within one company, but within many companies. So that's, that's obviously number one. Uh, but then moving into this and building out that, I guess, uh, just to, for, for, for our listeners to get a view. So we are a 440 person company and my team grew from like zero to 27 in one and a half years. Right. So this okay. is where we stand. And and now with the product team, we're, we're building it out further. And then the, the idea with the product was to say, well, we solve similar challenges 
a different customer. Everyone is either migrating or from 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 legacy technology. I mean, just to give you an example, right? When you, you know, um, obviously Oracle is here to stay, but you know, you'd, you'd better have very very good reasons to start a brand new data warehouse or to migrate into a brand new Oracle data warehouse uh, this year than you had five years ago when it was almost the default place to go. Um, now you have many other options to choose from. Just one example, uh, but on the other hand. There's also some of these legacy technologies that really will stay. I always joke and say COBOL will outlive us all, right? Probably is true. So, um, um, and out of that, there's some there, there are certain panels that emerge that you recognize uh, uh, with what's happening in the in the marketplace as the as the enterprises around around the region evolve, saying, well, they're faced with the similar uh, you know challenges. They all want to integrate fintechs. They all want to integrate mm -hmm. modern technologies. They all want to integrate SaaS solutions. They want to integrate offerings from the public cloud like AWS or Azure. While at the same time, they really can change, uh, you know, they, they cannot turn the, their stack upside down um, right. uh, all at once. So, and that kind of, for me, is also a, a, a way to think, what can we solve as a product that actually, that is fully bootstrapped and we don't have to do any of that VC stuff and kind of, create all these nice slide decks or anything like that, but it's actually pure engineering driven solution to actual business problems that we see. And mm. this is how this thing grows one at a time. I mean, obviously it's nothing new, right? If you ask any of the, any of the big four, any of the other uh, major players in the, in the enterprise IT services space, everyone's got their product here and there. They created for a big customer that they try to push to other customers. That's obviously nothing new and, and, and also the respectable thing to do. But for me, my focus is to have these things really uh, driven by the engineering rather than driven by, you know, sales and marketing or me as a partner right. just pushing it down. Because uh, I think that in order for us to be in the data space and to stay relevant in the future as the technology and automation evolves, uh, we really have to love what we do and be down in the dirt and the details of the engineering stack um, across across the uh, the way it evolves, right? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And... Gosh, it reminds me that uh, um, when, I, when I was in Munich, I was uh, talking with some friends and uh, one of them, you know, uh, worked at a consulting company that serviced, uh, you know, traditional German companies, right? These companies mm -hmm. typically are on-prem. And uh, one of my other friends was from America and, um, you know, worked at one of the um, large cloud companies uh, formerly. And so... And the, and the, the friend who worked at the cloud company I was like, well, why, you know, why don't they just move to the cloud? This should be that easy. And it's like, it, trust me, you know, my other friend who uh, was consulting this on-prem company is like, look, it really isn't that easy. Like these companies are, they, they're there for a reason and they have no desire to move. I think in this case, it was regulatory. Like they really couldn't do anything, right? Oh, that's so, my favorite topic, man. That's regulatory oh, yeah. in the cloud yeah. is, you, you're hitting me right in the fields here. Uh, the, um, you know, um, well, I, I was, you know, uh, I think it's, Fair to say, so it created a one of the uh, one of the first uh, cloud data warehouses for for a bank. It's an ongoing project, uh, in, very very successful, interesting uh, implementation of a cloud data warehouse. You know, obviously fully compliant with with the uh, with the banking regulations and, and and European data data protection law. But the challenges that you learn through working with the legal teams and with compliance teams and with the uh, uh, with 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 the entire uh, combination of technical and uh, you know and and organizational and all sorts of measures in order for it to comply to be able to, to be able to um, to be able to utilize these services and comply. We'll give an example. Was part of this European European Cloud User Coalition. That's a very interesting group hmm. of European banks, uh, which is growing ECUC, 
um, that um, I was with uh, with my previous employer, part of the part of the founding team that's on the um, on our website, and and uh, this this group continues to kind of do its a very important work to communicate wishes for standards to both regulators and the cloud service providers, saying, "You guys, we we want to have the same opportunities or similar opportunities as Asian American." You know, banks and 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 really large enterprises um, like the big tech that are going into the financial space. Uh, let us be able to use cloud technology across Europe in a in a compliant way, uh, mm. which means a lot of things. Meaning that the definition of what a cloud is should be the same across Europe. Right now, this is not the case. A cloud in Poland is different than a cloud in Germany. Is different than I guess a cloud in uh, just to give an example of uh, something more. Like like Netherlands, right? So mm-hmm. there's different different ways that you even define what constitutes a regulatory um, relevant uh, discussion on can we move to the cloud? So with all that complexity, it's understandable that companies are saying, "We well, you know what my Oracle works, my on-premise ETL works, and, and really uh, pff, everything works." Yeah, I know what I pay, but I can afford it. Uh, why should I, you know, be more efficient and um, um, and you see this, and you see this very often, right? So mm-hmm. then, um, it, it's it's also a, a lot of uh, in, incumbent interest for the teams to not really move as quickly as you could. You don't want to break things because it's also a kind of a cultural way of 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 really doing um, IT projects. The uh, definition of excellence is a different one, I'd say. It doesn't mean that it's better. It's just different from what I've seen, for example, with with uh, with some um, American companies or how 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 business is done uh, is done over there in terms of IT implementations. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's dive into that for a bit. What does excellent mean typically when when you uh, work in Europe versus here in the U.S.? Right. Um, well, um, I, I guess uh, that will immediately bring us to this discussion: agility, agile. Uh, you know how uh, how 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 business. And and I I also also building up on, on your previous episodes with other amazing guests who've been talking about business and IT and kind of how they cooperate mm-hmm. and create products together. I think it's it's pretty clear that that uh, you cannot uh, automate um, uh, having few dedicated engineers that understand the business is infinitely more valuable than having an army of standardized you know. Um, engineers uh, working uh, uh, according to some arcane, um, uh, very, very boring rules of how they produce, um, 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 you know, standard quality, standard expectation software by working in iterative scrum mode, right? This is um, the very uninspiring, harsh reality of how um, most enterprises do it, not everyone. Mm. Um, I guess having committed engineers who really understand the business makes the hugest difference rather than any, whether you implement Agile in this framework or that framework or the other one, it really, they're all as good or as bad and, and don't really uh, have any merit on their own. Uh, and, and the definition of excellence, I guess the main difference is that the tolerance for errors and for like uh, move fast and break things, we're mm. like, let's move, let's back it off a little bit and don't, let's, let, let's not break anything. Right, so I, I think that's that's kind of like we'll get there, uh, and uh, and we'll get there um, uh, in a more efficient manner than than if we're just to risk breaking something. This leads us to this leads as you obviously see, very few European companies in general in the tech space are, I mean, global leaders on 
I mean, just only a few come to mind that you say the software produced in Europe and there's like a, the SAP of, of, of the SAP and similar companies, right? They're only based in Europe. However, what you, what you tend to see is a lot of European startups and, and, and founder teams that are actually European, where the original idea originated in Europe, and it was an excellent idea, but then they went on to to to, to US and Asia to to realize it, to bring it to a mm. to a global to a global brand, to a a um, a huge name. So um, there's a huge divergence between the way the traditional enterprise works, the I guess alive but not really healthy uh, startup scene works, uh, driven by complex regulations for just setting up companies. Uh, and for, 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 for giving, for example, something as simple as giving options uh, to, to employees and, 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 uh, and making them part of the journey uh, in the different European jurisdictions. Some places it's very easy, other yeah. places like Austria, it's really, really hard. And we don't even have the proper legislation for this. I think it's fair to point this out. So, um, yeah, so, so uh, the, the, I guess the conservative uh, way of saying we're going to over-engineer for stability. Uh, we're going to focus way more on testing uh, like, like you otherwise would. We even see this divide the way software is done in Eastern Europe versus in, in Western Europe. Um, and uh, the, 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 the importance of, of having, for example, test automation, test teams in general uh, differs, right? Because what's the value of, you know, how, how do you price the additional quality that you'd receive by having another five-person team that only does QA versus two people, right? It's a, it's a hard thing to quantify and, and get a business case on unless mm. the whole model of how the company operates is everything that we release is smooth, it works. Uh, and and, and uh, yeah, we know that it, it probably will probably get a little bit cheaper, but, uh, but that's how we want it done, right? Yeah, um, what do you think about this? How does that sound compared to what you see, uh, what you see in your practice or in in in? At it's a it's what I've seen when I years. when I talk with people in um, Europe, you know. So I mean, increasingly, I'm talking to business leaders, tech leaders, government, you know, officials as well, you know, about um, tech and data, and and I just get this overwhelming sense that people that I talk to, they definitely have this urge to move faster you know, and be, I, I guess, more American. Um, I live in America, so that's kind of all I know. And, and, and here it's like failure is just sort, sort of part of the game. It's like, yeah, you mm -hmm. failed and you move on. And that's how it is. Uh, everything I would say is very tear down here as well, where uh, you don't expect companies to be around that long. <laughs> if they are around for a long time, um, you know, the, it, it's a weird thing to see. It's cool in some ways. Uh, it also is just unusual. Um, just uh, yeah everything is here is a lot more temporal and then i'm reminded of uh, an article I, I recently read and i want to read the book as well uh what was it in the new yorker uh but it was about a wire card the uh the big uh uh german company that uh you know i guess was sort of the shining light of, of innovation and uh you know how we should do startups in the eu and then all of a sudden you realize it's like a complete sham so um I think there's a temptation to want to be like, you know, this fast growing American company. And the thing is, I think in the EU, it's, it's people want to get bought into that dream. So they, they want to go along for the ride and really believe. Um, right, right, so. right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly that there's certainly that. And, and, yeah. and you also have this dark side of the startup, startup culture, right? Where, you know, 
having the ability to break things doesn't mean that if you break things, you almost have to celebrate it. It's almost like, oh, we failed. Right. It's such a huge success <laughs> that we failed so well, right? Nothing, no one failed ahead of us uh, in this particular area. That's, uh, you know, um, the, um, there's a, there's a certain, um, aspect of that culture, which is highly toxic. Right. And, uh, and obviously now with the VC drying up, uh, uh, with the interest rates and the market situation, uh, you see that uh, that all of a sudden uh, it's not like every slide deck looks the same and everything. So suddenly this isn't as cool anymore. Until you know, kind of the sinus waves kind of um, uh, turn turns uh, turn, turns again towards, mm-hmm. yay! You know, um, uh, what's what's the what, it wasn't Web three. It's 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 LLMs. It isn't this. It isn't that. It's crypto. Let's yeah. throw, let's let's find someone to throw funding in. At and 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 it, if it looks the same, if it talks the same, it is the same. So let's fund it. So well, you got to uh, get the funding right, and you got to get you got to get uh, uh, beaten down by the regulators like Binance and uh, Coinbase did this week. Uh, you know, in, in the U.S., so it's you know they yeah blew fast I mean, and then got broke. In, <laughs> so. in you, we, we, we're going to get this 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 AI act, and I'm uh, I'm very very um, um, eager to see how how this will play out. Um, mm. There's some very good aspects to it, uh, like uh, like obviously you know limiting the ability of major corporations, but also major governments to use data for bad things, right? So that that limits everyone. But also the question that remains is, um, uh, even though it, it 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 you know they go into great detail. If you look at how how this current suggestion is, there is they they break down into an absurd level of detail the use case and the question is can you plan this that isn't this looking at the, at the past right isn't isn't this limited limiting our ability to innovate uh, by by you know immediately programming new use cases uh, to be automatically anything that's worth mentioning being automatically in the in the gray zone where you just have huge compliance costs and at the end of the day um, there's just uh, I think um, a, a public discussion that needs to be had in Europe needs to be had in individual countries, and uh, and uh, and it's bold. I think from from I can I can I can say from now from from looking with this is bold opportunity for Europe to kind of lead, um, um, you know, kind of um, using AI in a responsible way, uh, and and having the ability to build an ecosystem around corporations that uh, that that work uh, and play along those rules. Uh, but also kind of uh, locking us out of anything made in Europe uh, and just following along with standard use cases that were t- already, you know, tested somewhere else and someone paid initial compliance costs elsewhere. So, yeah, um, yeah. That's interesting because it's, it's like the EU is innovative, uh, especially in the area of regulation. Uh, oh, well, that, there's <laughs> that, there's no doubt, doubt, doubt about that. Uh, but we should also, I mean, it's, it's very easy to look at this in a negative way and say, hey, this is just... Well, the U.S. ain't going to do it, though. The U.S. I mean, we're, we're yeah, we'll have some hearings on stuff, but trust me, it's like anything that happens in the U.S. is going to be a uh, you know watered down by all the lobbyists, the big tech companies. Oh, I have said how it and is. Also, man. Consider the fact that when someone like uh, like uh, uh, like the major uh, LLM um, for profit um, um, <laughs> corporations are going there and saying we should regulate AI, they're basically saying right. yeah, we want to lock our our spot yep. in in front of everyone, and 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 shut the comp, uh, the, the competition out. This is the most classic uh, of a of a management uh, uh, decision that you can actually have. Oh this yeah, is, this is more textbook than anything. It's like one one oh one, man. Regulatory yeah. capture. Let's do yeah, this. Exactly. So so no, and regulatory capture is on top of problem when yeah. they kind of start moving around from regulate from come from. But yeah. but 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 still, from 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 what we're seeing is we yes we want to we are we I mean. I'm looking at it like integrate, even just give an example of, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, oh, this is going to automate our jobs away, it's going to do this and that. 
Uh, well, no, or not really. Um, looking at uh, looking at how we could utilize this, let's say from from a data you're a data services company. How you utilize large language models to help your customers to do to, to do stuff. I mean, obviously, use it as is your Google for creating simple uh, simple code. Uh, you don't use Stack Overflow that much, and etc. But um, what about as serious use cases? These models were trained on on large amounts of information. On like you're not going to be able to generate the latest version of the latest framework with it. But you want to migrate out of Cobol, out of SAS? This thing was trained on <laughs> generations worth of white papers, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's very good in doing that. Um, and uh, is it going to automate from what we're seeing how it's how it works? Is it going to automate your engineers away? No, they're just going to make them productive in a way where projects. It, it's just like with every other technology. It doesn't. It doesn't replace stuff in terms of creates a negative uh, net effect. It just enables you to do projects that were previously considered unfeasible. Yeah, am I going to migrate two million lines of PL SQL code um, on 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 manual labor that that at the cost of of going rates in in Western Europe? Good luck with that. Who is going to pay for that? Uh, however. Can I automate large parts of it if I have to migrate an old data warehouse, if I have to migrate an old um, you know, operational system or, or anything like this? And it suddenly gives you an opportunity to do more. So I'm way more optimistic that this will be a kind of a huge net benefit uh, rather than and also increasing the productivity of not only the senior you know, engineers and developers, but also but also helping out uh, also junior newcomers to kind of be more, more, more apt with what they do uh, than anything else. Uh, and uh, and I think um, uh, it's just like well, I don't remember the the well, who, who coined this law. But if you see a if you see a newspaper article where it answers with a question mark, then you can assume that the answer is no. You know, is for example AI going to automate us all away? The answer is no, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I believe you said so that um, com companies are thinking about AI, but they cannot even do BI. And I can fully subscribe it's to true. that based on what I'm seeing. Uh, with uh, with uh, uh, with with customers with enterprises, um, and um, and uh, it, obviously talking about let's get the fundamentals right is way less interesting than than having uh, having us discussed how how uh, AI bots will uh, you know will uh, devise a plan to harm us right. So right. I feel like in Europe though, like AI is. I think because just the the speed at which business moves and the motivations behind the businesses right. In the U.S., for example, there, there's you know quarterly earnings calls. There's not a CEO who's not going to mention their AI strategy, whether it's realistic or not is a different question. But you have to have something happening with AI right now, or you're going to be a uh, um, you're going to suffer a share price decline. Right? That's how it is. Um, whereas in Europe, I'm very curious, you know, about the adoption of uh, you know a lot of these tools, whether uh, you know in word or in spirit, right? Because um, uh, I think just Businesses just have different uh, sets of motivations there. One of them is yeah, this weird thing called making money and profits and and stuff, which in the U.S. is um, does happen. But uh, yeah, you, you think of it this way: yeah, we would be more um, conservative in exploring new technology that we don't, when we know, you know, don't really know um, much about. Yeah, uh, but also on the business side, we'll be way more questioning around: Am I going to integrate something that promises me X, Y, and Z? Uh, or uh, where where you know the risk just don't match the upside compared to optimizing my process in other right. ways, right? So uh, so you would uh, you kind of have these companies that are over hundred years old because they 
consistently chose the less, uh, you know, kind of the less um, um, risky way. And the same applies to IT, right? Think of think of the classical case, like am I great a major ERP system, right? This is a make or break for my business if I'm going to fork up a, a nine figure just to just to migrate my yeah. ERP away, right? So, um, and uh, this, this wouldn't come from virtual money, from VCs, you know, this, I have to actually earn this and, and you, through, through profits and I would be able to pay for it. So, um, uh, th- you know, just let's not discount the fact that, that um, um, you know, maybe it's not being the first mover that is going to be the success here uh, in the adoption, but being um, kind of the second or even the last mover in a particular uh, business um uh, area where where you always see how it's playing out and which technology will win and which approach will win, and and only then you optimize. You skip several levels of failures and don't have to pay for those uh, with minimal downside and uh, and minimal compliance risk. Uh, but also, I wanted to co- come back to the point with the regular regulation of AI. Mm. Um, just like um, you, you, you mean, I'm by no means no means a, a, a legal expert, but you do tend to see uh, how how. Legislation kind of is exported. Uh, uh, you mm. know, we we ma- we Europeans made the world comply largely with GDPR, uh, much like the Americans made the world comply with tons of other things like their 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 banking requirements or FATCA, etc. So there is um, there is um, there is this um, probability where if Europe gets this AI act together, uh, pardon the, the pun, then then this might spill over with positive effects on the world. But I'm by, own, by no means a cheer boy for, for regulation. I'm just saying that the opportunities are there and it's up to the regulators to, to, to finally kind of um, um, decide how deep they want to, to, to regulate this uh, or, or where they set the guardrails, right? Yeah. So, It'll be an interesting discussion too, and in fact, uh, two of the people helping draft that, that legislation will be on the podcast very, very soon. So, uh, awesome. Cu- curious awesome. about their thoughts. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like they've done a really good job at balancing, um, you know, regulation, but also trying to incentivize innovation. Because I think that they also realize that the EU does have to have some semblance of innovation and not just be, uh, you know, the, the world's nanny about everything. Right. And, uh, <laughs> setting roles. I mean, hell, America does a good enough job at that anyway. I'm joking, but, uh, um, but it, it's, it, it definitely sees there, there's two sides to the issue where, um, at least the people that I know who are working on this, they aren't blind to the fact that, um, the EU, the EU does need to step up in, in the areas of innovation. This is an area where I think anyone you talk to and, the business climate there is just you know, also it does move slower. I also consider the fact that uh, we do have, um, I mean, in Western Europe clearly, uh, but also in Eastern Europe, there's a large, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, from Estonia to Bulgaria um, and even Greece. Um, um, you know, we see with Microsoft investments there. So across kind of the whole Eastern European line, we have a very thriving. Um, IT services sector that moved from outsourcing into being actually the backbone of major American and, and global um, uh, companies. Uh, oh yeah, you're, and, you're hugely bullish on, on Eastern Europe. Oh yeah, w- 100%. Yeah. I'm very, very bullish on, on Eastern Europe and Central Europe. Um, I, I love Western Europe, but uh, you, can, you, you have to see that in terms of growth and dynamics, the structure is severely different. And uh, and uh, you can even see it if you if you talk to kind of um, 
uh, even t- t- something as simple as as you know bank ITs. Uh, you know, banks in 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 the eastern part of Europe, you know, they are the ones that are in th- that are actually the most technology wise, the most innovative. And the further west you go, you know, they tend to be bigger, you know, with more budgets and with more everything. Uh, and and this is where you get bogged down in 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 actually, um, um, yeah, just running legacy stuff and and. Mm and planning for a future of, of modern tech that, that almost never comes. Right. So, uh, but, but, the, but, but because when you talk Europe, you kind of, we have to think of Europe as both and not really have this artificial divide, uh, overall. And if you see like major corporations that are, that have their actually, meanwhile, most of their engineering in, in Europe rather than in the U S could think of a few examples of that and, and you can, and you have to stay bullish that, that all overall, um, yeah. You know, despite with certain outliers, you will get this um, that that I mean uh, that you know immediately labeling Europe as as being non-innovative or lagging behind by right. default uh, should not nearly be the default case, right? So that's true. There's definitely different shades of uh, different shades of Europe, right? So it's uh, um, yeah, I, I have Bulgarian roots, by the way. So uh, yeah, yeah, I have a you know um, I have. Um, um, uh, uh, overview on, on on that part of the world, and also we work with uh, with uh, like I said, we have uh, I have a few of my colleagues from my teams uh, in Lithuania, in Poland, in Hungary, in Slovakia. So I do I do see uh, uh, you know kind of the dynamics of the market there, the kind of people uh, that we get, and the growth and the energy that we have there. So uh, that that can only make you bullish that that this um, uh, tech story is not really, is not really over, right? We're not going to oh, no. stay in a museum just... or sell schnitzel and, you know, and, and nice vacations in the Alps. Uh, we certainly continue to do, I, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's funny. I got to say the, uh, engineers I meet in, uh, Eastern Europe are fantastic. I don't, I don't know what's in the water there, but it just seems like the level of, uh, STEM training there is, um, yeah, this came it's, from, it's different. Uh, you know, as a this came out of the Cold War, dude. It's mm-hmm. still, it's still, um, still alive in 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 the way that that um, you know back back in the day you have all of these you know STEM training in mathematics and it was all about you know you know military and rocket production. Let's be mm-hmm. honest, all these institutes and develop and 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 after obviously uh, after the uh, you know for 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 what is like uh, you know thirty years already. Uh, you, you, you still, th- this kind of tradition in the school state, despite, I guess, uh, extremely substandard levels of funding, there you can make a very good point that you don't really need to invest more in education because, you know, if you compare the output per euro in, in Eastern Europe versus Western Europe, then you're vastly overpaying in Western Europe for what seems to be very few, if any, if any benefit. Mm-hmm. But uh, in Eastern Europe, this, this tradition state, and that's kind of across the whole, across the whole, uh, line, you see what's happening in Estonia. We're not. I'm not particularly active in Estonia, but I do have um, some observations there. But amazing place, hugely vibrant technology sector. But moving also down to Lithuania, Poland, Latvia. So many things happening. You see companies moving to Romania, Bulgaria. Uh, you see the homegrown companies in Poland and and uh, and, and, and and Czech. Um, so um, quite quite a strong IT IT sector. Uh, very resilient in terms of, um, um, I guess, relying on the public sector for 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 education. So there's almost a tradition where they have these strong private academies. You have just a strong ethic of people just um, you're rolling up their sleeves and learning the new technologies. 
It's not about, I came from this prestigious school and that's why, you know, I did computer science there and that's why I'm the best. You don't have that in Eastern Europe. Uh, and I know there's quite a few people that say, well, but overall speaking from a, like a, if you look at Europe in general, if you look at your particular country or town, yeah, they're obviously more prestigious places than other places. But um, uh, be pre precisely because of this decentralization and not relying just like, oh, I have the Ivy League or whatever, and if I don't come out mm -hmm. of that, I'm not great. Uh, you know, you have this huge, uh, you know, resilient, non-fragile sector that just continues to to improve. And and kind of e Eastern Europe started as a story where you do cheap outsourcing. That was, right. uh, you know, you, you, you had to kind of like move away from that. You're the back office of Europe um, uh, kind of um, uh, role. Uh, and now it's and now it's very similar to when you're like a major like American company. You'd have people from many states, not because you really are interested in operating in those states that all that much, but really that's where you find the talent. And your offices are where you find the talent. Uh, and 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 also kind of the the salary differences are uh, uh, you know being slowly converging to uh, to, to something uh, in terms of net pay that is quite similar. So you don't even have that kind of cost advantage. Obviously, have like higher taxes here, lower taxes there, and uh, or, or or stronger labor markets and weaker labor markets. But uh, one of the interesting things that I think supercharged this sector is. Uh, right after, we, as we roll, roll out of the pandemic, and suddenly the remoteness uh, being the default, mm. uh, and, and 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 all of your Eastern European locations shoot through the roof because suddenly they they them sitting on on Zoom calls and Teams meetings uh, isn't as exotic. Some people that that you know never otherwise would, would hear about, but this is your this is your team with 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 uh, with whom you you do great things uh, wherever in Europe you 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 tend to have like a customer project or location. Uh, this is quite. I'm, that's why I'm super optimistic that this will continue to kind of. Yeah. Uh, we're still seeing kind of. I think we're at the beginning of this now, actually, um, because it's quite uh, it's quite uh, clear that uh, that this hybrid thing is is to stay, uh, and that uh, and that um, uh, this 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 just open up all of these talent pools uh, across Eastern Europe uh, to be to be um, uh, to be part of your 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 workforce whichever strong traditional company you might be in France, Germany, Austria, or whatever. Yeah. Do you think uh, Western Europe is going to try and uh, borrow some things from Eastern Europe? Uh, that's, that's actually a quite, um, a quite interesting projection. Um, I think that the, 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 the competition market is going to force us slash them to do so. Uh, because mm -hmm. uh, you, you would just, you, because you would just be um, unable to compete even within the own European Union space uh, if you if you don't innovate. And and um, my uh, it's quite clear that in terms of capital, uh, you know, Western Europe is much better positioned, right? I mean, there's yep. established companies, with, you know, global companies in in all sorts of of of, of um, economic sectors. Uh, but in terms of IT, I think the importance of Eastern Europe, of your hubs in Eastern Europe, of your people in Eastern Europe uh, and Central Europe are going to increase. And um, and maybe the, how it's going to play out is kind of like a um, settle around a, an equilibrium where where this is kind of the competitive advantage that you have uh, and that the advantage is there not purely because of costs, but because there's only... Uh, there's only so many engineers that you could have to do all of your uh, software development and and, uh, and and critical software development. Where I'm not talking about maintenance of standard stuff or mm -hmm. or just 
you know, um, augmented agile teams that you don't really, they're not key to your business, right? So, yeah, but overall, I think both sides are going to profit from this. I don't, I don't see Europe, Western Europe kind of losing in a way where it's a zero sum game. Yeah, it seems like you you would you would expect that the, the uh, whatever's working in Eastern Europe is going to trickle into Western Europe, but um, yeah, we'll I guess we'll find out. No, right? I, I think the culture, uh, you know, it seems like it's not like a culture in in businesses plays a huge role. Uh, culture in in societies also plays a different role. You cannot argue. I mean, you've been to probably like thirty five states in the U.S. have have to count them up, uh, but I, you see how how different there's places right across across state lines. Yeah, and same thing in Europe, right? I think probably will never um, will agree to be different, and that's uh, and th- this diversity is actually quite a quite a quite a great thing, quite a strong thing, to to have the different perspectives of the different teams from different countries with their yeah. you know, local culture flavor and whatnot. I don't think that it has to be copied and pasted like like um, oh it's work there, let's make it work here, just because the situations are so different, right? I mean, yeah. um, you you have major European regulated businesses; they're not going to get eaten away by some fintech in in Lithuania tomorrow. It's just not, not, not going to happen. So, yeah. Um, but coming back to the data space, um, I, I, I certainly, I certainly think that that um, uh, we we can keep up uh, by by just having the best of both, right? Yeah. Uh, by by adopting the stability and the and, and the serious um, um, you know practices of developing software the way we do it in the West. Power part of you with the innovative spirit and the skills and and just the, the sheer uh, amount of of talent available uh, uh, in Eastern Europe that actually wants to stay in Eastern Europe. But those are not people that are somehow willing to migrate to move. Uh, right. And and we recognize that and we just open up local offices and we integrate them uh, as part of our team and as part of our customers' team. Um, that seems to be a a a a, a good thing for us and um, I believe for many other companies. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Do you have Do you have any ambitions of uh, making your way to the states as a company? Probably a competitive um, secret, but I, it's just very curious. So, yeah, uh, at some point, why not? Uh, yeah. Let's see. I'll, I'll actually be, be eager to to. Uh, I hope you'll share a few uh, uh, information uh, slash 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 uh, details around uh, around uh, around our product, around our data integration mm. product, uh, and be interested to hear your opinion on this. But I, without you know. Being too optimistic or or being too, um, I guess, um, arrogant about this, but I think we can make it into into one of these niche global brands that that actually are quite quite interesting to mm. to a lot of companies, including American companies. Um, that um, that gives me uh, the optimism that we could do it. But I'm in a, in in no means in a rush to to do this in the kind of VC kind of way to let's you know, pump it up with some VC capital and add 50 more engineers. I don't to think it you need to right now. I don't think you need to any, any, um, from a competitive standpoint, it's like, I think, uh, a lot of competitors that you might've had during the boom times. I mean, I think most of them are going to be out of business or acquired very soon, uh, at least within the next, um, you know, 12 to 24 months. That's just how it is. Um, and if, and if you have something that's valuable, you have something that's valuable. People want to buy it. As one of my really wealthy friends once told me, you know, if you want to make a lot of money, sell something that people want to buy. It's pretty at lower price. It's <laughs> pretty a, simple, right? It's pretty simple. It's pretty yeah. Simple. What, what do you think? Do you think they really? What do you think? What do you reckon? What is your projection based on what you see right now? And and we see this across the board. Companies pitching this and that AI implementation, and let's 
automate the generation of Seacon, let's automate the generation of this and that and the other. Would you see, are, are really most of them hot air that is not going to materialize? I think so. Um, I think a lot of it's hot air that's not going to materialize. I think the underlying motivation of continuous uh, con continuous automation in the sense we're going to continually automate tasks, that's a secular trend that's not going away. But if I kick the tires of certain products if, or if I look at the pitches of certain products, I don't... So when I kick the tires, I think there's some something there and most of it is... Probably doesn't need to be there. It's a lot of uh, hot air. When I look at the marketing pitches, I, I I just don't get the sense that IT teams really want this for a variety of reasons, right? And so automation is definitely it needs to be pitched in a way where it's it's going to be a net positive and it appeals to, um, you know, it sounds it sounds obvious enough, right? But a real pain point that an IT team has, but not in a way that's going to jeopardize their jobs, right? Right. right so absolutely. when I when I see stuff like oh yeah, we're going to just uh, automate, um, you don't need to write SQL anymore. And it's like, yeah, but that's that person's job there that you're just trying to pitch to. Like, it ain't going to work. because Wasn't what, that what BI supposed to do 15 years ago? You just visually drag and drop tables, boom, you don't have right. SQL. Right, yeah. And, 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 not so great. <laughs> and SQL is supposed to automate a lot of stuff too. You know, when, <laughs> yeah. I, when I talked to old DBAs back in the day, it's uh, so So that's, that's one aspect of it. Um, and, and every single company in, in the universe now is trying to, you know, jump on the large language model bandwagon. And so, you know, you know, whether or not it makes any sense, it's like now we're an AI company, right? So, um, you know, I, I've seen a few of these cycles before, uh, you know, having worked in ML and, you know, seen various pitches over the years. I mean, the secular trends do happen over time. You know, machine learning is adopted more largely in the enterprise, for example, but it's not like this is an overnight thing where you're going to see a, a mass calling of, um the old with the new. Right. I, I what do you think about the small language models? I think like local, local I think versions. I think, actually, I think that's a smarter way of uh, going about it. And in fact, one, one person I'm talking to uh, later today, um, you know, is working on exactly that for uh, sort of a next-gen BI tool. I think small language models are, are cool, you know, especially these, quote, foundational models that can, I think, more uh, be tied to, you know, the data of your business, which is inherently usually very small, right? Um, right, right, right. Right, so... But again, we're we're sort of in, in you know I would say new territory mixed with old territory, and I don't know we'll, we'll just see where it goes. Uh, I think the big difference now, though, is the past few cycles of machine learning have all occurred when money was really cheap, and you could just throw money at the um, these companies and and see how it goes. That's not the case anymore, and so I think the underlying um, you know economics of these companies is just going to be driven by different motivations. Than right, right, right. past because it's the first time you've had expensive money for a long time in a startup environment and all these what? startups that made money i mean not uh, raised money i wouldn't say made money but they raised money now they have to pivot to something new without the backing of like oh i'm gonna get another round soon right that ain't happening so i was listening to your podcast he did recently and one of your guests uh let me recall the name i think brian brian green yeah, yeah mentioned that that um it's not only necessarily that the company with the best technology that, that kind of wins in the marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this. That's actually a quite insightful thing to say because if you move with the right marketing, right marketing budget at the right time, you can secure part of the market and the good technology just gets, you know, it's probably better, but not so materially better as to matter. And you still kind of have like a subpar technology that ends up reigning the marketplace for years. We have also seen this in the... Uh, you know, even if you think back like uh, Turbo Pascal versus C, you know, C won, but it wasn't that obvious, right? Right. I mean, I would have been with the, in, in the Turbo Pascal, uh, uh, you know, 
um, branch of things. Um, but, uh, you know, probably the difference isn't that, that, that big anyway to say, well, oh, so, 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 so substandard it, it is not, but I guess something similar probably play out in the, uh, in the, in the way that you do standardized, I don't know, um, uh, small language model trained on your, or working with your, um, you know, um, own company enterprise data that you just don't want to give out. There's no way you, you know, kind of even put it, put it push yeah. it out to a SaaS somewhere. Uh, and you just want to utilize, um, uh, uh, you know, that information, uh, with, uh, with the, with the abilities of something like a, like a language model. Right. So, well, I think a lot of it, the, the success of language models, whether they're small or big really depends on the quality of the data that's being trained mm -hmm. on and the type of responses that it provides back. So, I mean, I use ChatGPT every day more to sort of push the limits of let, you know, where I can understand how it's useful to me. And I think I figured it out for my use case, right? It's good for coming up with, I think, good. Uh, so if I'm writing a script, it's good for coming up with a work, you know, a, sort of a story arc of a script. But the, the the points within the script, for example, it still needs to be filled in by me. Like it it, it almost make it almost costs me more time to go back and re-edit what it says and just like, give me an outline. I'll fill in everything and, and go from there but that's but i can see this in, in a business right so if i had a uh like a you know a, a small language a chat interface on my data and i started asking it questions like it better well be right i mean that's sort of table stakes but the problem is how would you know right so that's what i mean by bi is hard enough like you, it's hard enough to know if the data is correct when you're looking at a at a chart for example right now you yeah. Put this behind a chat interface. You run uh, to the CEO and give him information based on a question asked in it, where where you deliver the output right away. Where you're unsure whether the underlying data really gives him the exact answer to the question that 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 he or she required from you, and 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 that uh, and that uh, and that suddenly um, you know you'd, you'd want to double check that, right? But for it, things like automating, yeah. I don't know, creating presentations out of a out of a text, or uh, or just like, I also use it regularly. ChatGPT. My experience is. is I almost have like a good feeling about which things it can do and which things it cannot do. It's hard to describe, but you kind of, it's mm -hmm. almost like a, like a person where you know, okay, this is, this is what they can do, what they cannot do. Yeah. So for certain things you're, you, you think they're highly reliable and other things like, yeah, I mean, I can, I can ask it, but uh, probably not, not worth even wasting the time to, to ask this question. Right. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, I always joke. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a very convincing intern. It's a very convincing. No, but but also pro, so. pro, the, the way that you think it will change is like you know, providing context. And and when we yeah. talked about prompt engineering, I think there's some huge potential there because there you would you know because that 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 that's where being good at at querying it and knowing how to do it, uh, it's almost like uh, makes the difference between a drag and dropping in a BI tool or or writing SQL, right? And then you, you I if I if I want to do a query that where that gives me really good information. I will, and if including my my current job, I will write my SQL, right? I will not mm -hmm. just drag and drop stuff. And it's the same thing with when you get serious about utilizing in an enterprise for like actually basing decisions off of of what such a, a small language model will tell you on your about your own data. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think you know, just in terms of where we see this data engineering business going, I think all of this newest automation will not put us out of business. In fact, it will enable us. To untangle all systems, um, you know, quicker, easier. And if someone is thinking, well, you know, they're a data engineer and they better learn some, you know, um, assembly programming <laughs> skills uh, or, yeah. or like deeper, you know, stuff because you know the the rest of it is being automated away is changing. But I don't think it's changing in a way where 
where you're where you'd need less expertise or uh or where you would um you know be out of the job um, yeah i think that's definitely true i think it, if anything it, it'll just it's a forcing function well just like uh the abstraction of tools right i mean back hmm. in the day you'd have to you know hmm. spin up a uh, hadoop and manage that all that now that's you know that's managed you'd be kind of silly to spin up your own Hadoop cluster unless you had a really good reason to do that nowadays, right? Um, I think it's just, again, the secular trend is simplification and abstraction, right? So right, right, right. large language models and all this, it's just simply in automation, all it does is it abstracts um, current workflows and practices, which means you get to move up higher in the value chain, which makes you potentially more valuable because you're solving harder problems. Um, but that's it's, the nature of technology from day right. one. But I still see, uh, in terms of Hadoop, I mean, it's like you better have very good reason. There's people still running use cases on Hadoop. Sure. And the interesting thing is that you, when you talk to these guys, uh, amazing engineers, know their stuff, know their Spark code inside out. But when I ask them the question, what's the reason for this to exist in 2023 compared to the options that you otherwise would have? And suddenly the discussion is around, oh, but this is such a custom Spark code, you can't really, I mean, this and that. Yeah, but does it really yeah. solve a problem that's all that that requires such a such a complex situation? And then it it always kind of almost almost pains me to see what would be an extremely good you know engineer uh, you know computer computer science person trained person that would defend such a such a solution uh, just out of the reflex of of having job security. Let's be honest. And you see this in, in especially large enterprises, there's these teams that are running these technologies. They don't want to let loose. Right. So, um, it's, it's, it's good to, to, to point to them out that even, even though if they were to move to a simpler technology, they actually still move up the value chain yep. because they'll be providing more value with a simpler approach without changing the underlying premises of the solution slash problem statement. So, um, there's quite a, I think, um, Quite a few convincing and also kind of learning in the data community uh, to to uh, to just because we found a cool technology that we mastered within a year doesn't mean that we should stick with it forever, right? Right. And um, yeah. Well, awesome, man. It's been great chatting with you as always. Uh, I uh, always appreciate uh, our conversations. Like we just so for the audience, uh, Evo and I are the kind of guys we'll just we'll, we'll chat all day, and that we, we literally do. So. <laughs> Thank, but for, so for, for your sake, we won't. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. For people who want to uh, learn more about you, how can they get a hold of you or, or find out more? Uh, they could get, they, they could, they could add me on LinkedIn on Carl Ivo Sokolov and, uh, and, um, I'll be announcing our new product very soon. Nice. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be a separate announcement. Thanks so much for, for inviting me. And Anytime, I guess, uh, man. we'll see each other in the U S in a couple of weeks. Hope so. Yeah. Okay. All, All right. right. See you, buddy. Take care. See you. Bye-bye.